the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. And I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD and my certification, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of taxation law and I'm also a master of intellectual property law. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and most importantly, my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Again, I find that bankruptcy law intersects with just about every other area of the law and is therefore eternally and almost every day fascinating as I learn something new. I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, and I also do some teaching now, including that of debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous people in their communities. And because I was born into a military family, and some of you asked, no, I was never a soldier myself. I, My dad was a soldier, and I married a soldier, and I got cousins who soldiers, although I like to tease my cousin, Gerald, that he's a member of the Coast Guard, and that's not really part of the armed forces, and I kid him when I say that. So, I grew up in a military family and have a lot of values that I share with um, members of the military community Yeah, because I was a military brat. And you know what? I always will be one. And again, as I share with you, my former spouse 
was also in the military, like my dad. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it could be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our less than sometimes patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you also, I was raised by this dad, wonderful, gentle person <laughs> that I, I I have loving memories of. And he raised me to give back to this country uh, via the service. Uh, you know, he did it through his military service. And I shared with him that I thought I might like to be a soldier. And he said, no, I was too <laughs> hard-headed, and you had to follow orders. But he did suggest that I could serve the Department of Defense as a civilian. And, you know, that way, you know, he wouldn't have to come visit me in the brig for insubordination. (laughs) And so I took him up on that. So that's my connection with the military. Um, I was a Department of Defense civilian. That was my first full-time job being an analyst. And after I left the Department of Defense. I went to work for a telecommunications firm and uh, in I designed systems for um, the military. They're known as C3 systems, and that stands for command and control, which many of you might have heard of. But there's also a third component of the C, communication. So I designed information telecommunication systems for this very big um, telecommunications company. And um, my client, one of my clients was United States Navy. So that's my connection. And I feel that I'm just as much (laughs) a veteran in in, in quotation marks as anybody that uh, wore the uniform because I was one of the people in the background helping out. Um, So in addition to having a wonderful dad, uh, I also had, you know, my grandmothers who helped raise me and loved me. And, um, you know, they shared with me their experiences uh, of dealing with the four great economic challenges in the 20th century. That is to say, the Great Depression, World War II and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today that I got to share with you. I have to deal with sometimes on it seems like endlessly stupidity, but, you know, I have to deal with it and I will rise above it. Okay, so. As a result of, you know, having these wonderful grandmothers and a wonderful dad, um, my grandmothers shared with me wonderful stories about how they were raised in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South and out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on to do the right thing along with my dad, that when the situation is right through my current form of service, that is to say, practicing and also speaking and teaching and writing about the law, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of women and seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately, more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum uh, that I'm sharing with you today. 
So, but I once again, I have to ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your or your family's finances or your assets, but especially your debt. So, you know, while I was away from you uh, last week and we re-aired a show because I heard from someone um, out there in radio and podcast land that you wanted to know something about um, reverse mortgages. So that was the show that was re-aired from an earlier show in 2019. So I hope you all had a great time with your family and friends, um, or just you took some time off just to, you know, get away from your daily struggles and and have some downtime. And if you did either one or both of those things, I, I, I hope you had a wonderful time and uh, uh, welcome back. And it's nice to chat with you again. But, you know, while I was away, I had a chat with one of my dearest friends and we were having this discussion about what I call the three greatest existential threats to America. And while we agreed that the three included climate change uh, and also the uncontrolled use and expansion of artificial intelligence and the rise of authoritarianism on our shores, my friend was surprised that in light of the fact that the United States United Nations Conference on the Parties to the Convention, also known as COP28, that we both believe in and follow religiously, was taking place in Dubai this week. She was surprised that I placed authoritarianism in the United States ahead of climate change. She then conceded when I shared with her the simple fact that in all likelihood, neither climate change nor AI would have the, their ultimate cataclysmic effect on or before November 5th, 2024 and or January 20th, 2025. But if we, the people, don't get up off our big fat today and learn about the issues facing our society today, we, the people, will find ourselves confronted with an entire executive branch of our federal government on or after January 20th, 2025, that is aimed at destroying our ability to select our own leaders and govern ourselves going forward. I then reminded her, my dear friend, that we the people have enough good citizens of goodwill and knowledge that we will be able to not only walk and chew gum at the same time, but we also have the ability to listen, think about what we heard, analyze what we heard or read, and then talk about it such that we, the people, have the ability and can simultaneously work on saving our democracy, fighting climate change, and harnessing AI all at the same time. However, I told her, and I say to you, saving our democracy as part of 2024's election season must be first up on the top of our list of things to do. 
which is why I'm once again revisiting our 236-year-old United States Constitution. However, this time I want to discuss the very dry and boring topic of why we need to focus on our system of taxation and related laws that the leadership of the House of Representatives is currently trying to destroy. And the fact that if they succeed, it will make us a weak nation unable to fund our required domestic and foreign policy initiatives. And you know, this was one of the primary reasons way back in 1789, we the people undertook the drafting of our 236-year-old constitution in the first place. And that's why we'll need to discuss you know, and we will discuss it when we come back. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic and why I'm once again revisiting our 236-year-old United States Constitution. However, this time I want to discuss the very boring to some, but not to me, again, I have a master's degree in tax law and I find this stuff very exciting, but most people find it very dry and boring and their eyes glaze over. So I'm hoping that your eyes will become unglazed and listen to what I'm trying to share with you today, because, you know, there appears to be, in my opinion, and it's more than appears to be an effort by uh, the leaders in our House of Representatives to try to destroy our ability to raise the taxes that we need to uh, undertake and implement our required domestic and foreign policy initiatives. The irony of this is this need for the federal government to fund itself in order to protect our citizenry was one of the primary reasons way back in 1789 that we, the people, undertook the drafting of our 236-year-old United States Constitution in the first place. As usual for this show, this podcast, I'm using several sources, including the United States Constitution itself. But I want to point out to a great article that was written by Martin Kelly entitled, Why the Articles of Confederation Failed. The first government structure of the United States lasted only eight years, and it was published on ThoughtCo, which you can find at thoughtco.com forward slash why articles of Confederation failed. And it was published on ThoughtCo on May 8, 2020. Well, Mr. Kelly says the Articles of Confederation established the first governmental structure unifying the 13 colonies that had fought the American Revolution. This document created a structure for the confederation of those newly minted 13 states. After many attempts by several delegates to the Continental Congress, a draft by John Dickerson of Pennsylvania was the basis for the final document which was adopted in 1777, the year after we declared our independence. We had Articles of Confederation as opposed to the Constitution. 
The articles, I'm getting back into uh, Mr. Kelly's article. The articles went into effect on March 1st, 1781, after each of the 13 states had ratified them. The Articles of Confederation lasted until March 4, 1789, uh, when they were replaced by our existing United States Constitution, which has been amended several times. Um, Again, the Articles of Confederation lasted all of eight years. And so why didn't they last any longer? It was because they were structured to be have a weak national government. The purpose, getting back into Mr. Um, Kelly's article, the purpose of the Articles of Confederation was to create a confederation of states whereby each state retained its sovereignty, freedom, and independence, and every power jurisdiction and right not expressly delegated to the United States Congress assembled. Every state was as independent as possible within the central government of the United States, which was only responsible for the common defense, security of liberties, and the general welfare. Congress could make treaties with foreign nations, declare war, maintain an army and a navy, establish a post office, and manage indigenous affairs and coin money. But Congress could not levy taxes or regulate commerce. Now, because of widespread fear of a strong central government at the time they were written and strong loyalties among Americans to their own states as opposed to any national government during the American Revolution, the Articles of Confederation purposefully kept the nation's government as weak as possible and the states as independent as possible. However, this led to many a problem that became apparent once the articles took effect. Now, notwithstanding the fact that the articles, um, even though weak, uh, the United States, our 13 colonies, they won the American Revolutionary War against the British and they secured their independence for all of us, and they successfully negotiated the end to the Revolutionary War with the Treaty of Paris in 1783, and they established national departments in foreign affairs and wars and marines and treasuries. The Constitutional Congress also made a treaty with France in 1778 after the Articles of Confederation had been adopted by Congress. Uh, but before they had been ratified by the states. Notwithstanding these successes, some weaknesses reared their ugly heads. The weaknesses of the articles quickly led to the problem that the founding fathers realized um, that it was not flexible enough to form a more perfect government. Many of these issues were brought up uh, at the Annapolis Convention in 1786, including... Each state only had one vote in Congress, no matter the size. If you were tiny little Rhode Island, you had one vote in big fat Massachusetts, one vote, even though there might have been more people living there. Congress did not have the power to tax. 
Congress didn't have the power to regulate foreign and interstate commerce. There was no executive branch to enforce any act passed by Congress. There was no national court system or judicial branch. And amendments to the Articles of Confederation required a unanimous vote by all of the 13 states. So under the Articles of Confederation, each state was basically viewed as its own sovereignty and with the powers as paramount to them. They didn't want to share. However, how can you raise an army and how can you do all the things that were spelled out in the Articles of Confederation if you lack the ability to tax? Now, each state had the ability to tax its citizenry. But there was no requirement that any of those taxes be turned over to the central government. As such, our central government under the Articles of Confederation was weak because it was almost like cutting off the circulation, circulatory system. You need to raise taxes to fund a military. You need to raise taxes to fund post offices. You need to raise taxes to create a foreign core to have um, uh, members of our uh, ambassadorship be able to go and deal with foreign governments and also to protect us from wars. And as a result of the economic and military weakness apparent, uh, especially after Shays' Rebellion, where in Massachusetts there was a rebellion about paying any taxes to anybody, that led to the need to have another form of government to supplant the Articles of Confederation. And that led to the convention in Philadelphia on May 25th, 1787. And it became known as the Constitutional Convention. And it gathered the delegates and they realized that They couldn't change the articles. They needed to start from scratch and we developed the Constitution. And again, the primary reason was to allow for the funding of a federal government with an executive branch that could execute the will of Congress, which was the will of the people and uh, do the other things that a government needs to do. So what is my point and why am I talking about this? There are those in Congress today who are attempting to shut off the nation's ability to raise the necessary taxes to effectively and efficiently run our government. And I say those people aren't patriots and they will cause us to lose our ability to protect our interests that are both foreign and domestic. And so as I began this premise, next year is an election year. And we have a very important election that's going to come up on November 5th, 2024. Those of us who are true patriots and care about the longevity of our country need to get involved in the political process. Although we might not agree with everything that the current government is doing, we can have our factions. But as I told my dear friend, number one on the list is to make sure that our democracy stands tall We do not put an autocrat in charge of our government who wants to shut down our Constitution. And we don't want to strangle our ability to raise the funds necessary to run our government. Again, run it effectively and efficiently and not have all of the burden of taxation pushed from wealthy people down to individuals like you and me, because that's what the current uh, goal of the in my opinion, of some of the parties that are in charge of our taxing system in Congress are looking to do. 
We, we, we can't stand for it. So we have to get involved. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including how the taxing process of our federal government through the Internal Revenue Service that we all love, not, but is a required and necessary part of our government. And we need to make sure that we are able to continually fund our needs, foreign and domestic, to protect us as a citizenry and make sure we stay on top of the first branch of government, Congress, and hold it accountable as well as hold ourselves accountable for getting involved and participating in this upcoming election. So till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.